So are we really doing this? Yep. Too late to turn back now. The music already started. Welcome, everyone, to the Gov Navigators podcast, a government-focused podcast that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHead. Welcome back to another episode of the Gov Navigators podcast. I'm Robert Che. And I'm Adam Hughes. So what are we going to talk about? What happened this uh, this week? Well, uh, Robert, we were out at the Professional Services Council annual conference at the Greenbrier. I remember in there. <laughs> what, what a great event that they put on out there. Uh, first time that we that I have gone. I know you've been a few times before. Any takeaways? Well, I mean, first of all, the uh, hats off to the Professional Services Council for representing those who serve government. I thought the camaraderie among the group was fantastic. It was good to connect with people over such a concentrated amount of time outside the office. I think the tenor of the content was around, you know, how what does the future of work look like? What are the big risks facing the government contractor community? Debt ceiling is one Inflation. of them. In the negotiation over the debt ceiling, uh, the potential for a government shutdown if House and Senate and the administration can't agree on a budget in in the near term. When that happens, I don't know. But those were some of the things I heard being discussed. Yeah, we also had the GovExec Evening of Honors also last week, uh, and the, the the combined Fed 100 government hall of fame evening of honors event that the the folks at govexec do which and we're we were celebrities there right because we're what, former, what, <laughs> former winners former winners uh one of my favorite events of the year uh and in in the national cathedral it's a beautiful space we really loved catching up with old friends some of whom have won uh this year well-deserved awards for their contributions to federal it and government management I agree with you. It was good to hear all those awards given. My highlight was featuring or honoring Tim Clark, longtime editor in chief of GovExec, and the many contributions he's had to sort of building that that uh, media property uh, and the contributions it made to gov- the government management community. So, I mean, that's a lot already from last week. But, there, but there's one more. There's one more. There, there's one more. The Comptroller General testified before the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee on the release of the biennial high risk list. This is GAO's enumeration of those area of government management at greatest risk of waste, fraud, and abuse. What do you what did you think of the list? Any surprises? So well, it, it didn't change significantly. There were two areas removed, pension benefit guarantee corporations, insurance programs, and the 2020 decennial census. I think if we could afford an applause button. It it might not even be worth using it here because, you know, the 2020 census is over. But 
there were three areas added or that have been added since 2021 strengthening management of the federal prison system uh, health and human services leadership and coordination of public health emergencies and then unemployment insurance systems mm-hmm. uh, defense business systems modernization has been on the list for a long time it's one of the areas that declined notwithstanding significant challenges in that arena the department still lacks a plan to fix it it's not a great look not a great look so you know the the gao does a good job of highlighting the things that it takes to address what are genuinely significant areas there's got to be capacity there's got to be leadership attention there's got to be a plan in place they got to measure progress and if those and other things are in in place you really can chip away at what are significant long-term challenges there's great recommendations and information that gao compiles in this report and many others they, they essentially create a game plan for how to fix things too and they I do think, not hide they do not hide what's needed to address right. the problem that's that's an option for agencies to utilize and i think probably if more of them did we wouldn't have as many programs on that list is my guess if they only listened to they the navigators podcast <laughs> wait one day one day Okay, we're back. Uh, Adam, you know, we've talked a lot about the bipartisan infrastructure law and the largesse that it is distributing across the United States and and how state, local governments, private sector is having to step up to implement a long backlog of projects. Critical infrastructure and needed investments around the country, everything from transportation and roads and bridges to energy to water maintenance. I mean, that's been a big issue this year in the West particularly. And trying to get a sense of how those big amounts of money in the law translate into reality, I think is pretty hard, particularly for people, policy wonks like us in DC. So, you know, this is not my favorite topic, but this guy's publicist hounded me to get on the podcast. So, uh, with without further ado, let me welcome my dear friend Owen Barwell, an icon of the federal financial community, to the program today. He's the CFO at Independence Hydrogen. Thank you, Robert. Uh, Adam, also good to see you as well. Robert, thank you for the introduction. Uh, obviously, you're still talking to my mother to get appropriate talking <laughs> points by way of introduction, but delighted, <laughs> as always, to be so, here. Give, uh, it is a wonderful to, to be with you. Give a Give our listeners a lot of your background because you've had a great career in the federal government, both in and out of government. And uh, why don't you share a little bit of that history? Of, of course. Well, I'm currently the CFO of Independence Hydrogen. I've been with the company for just over a year. Uh, we are an early stage company focused on being able to produce and supply or recycle low carbon intensity hydrogen mostly for mobility purposes, moving people and things. And it was it, this is uh, somewhat of a random opportunity for me, but um, I think there are two things in my past that got me here. One was uh, I was the, the CFO at the National Renewable Energy Lab in Golden, Colorado, one of the Department of Energy's 
17 national labs. I was the CFO there for nearly nine years. And what got me there was nearly five years at the U.S. Department of Energy. I was the deputy and acting CFO for a little while, helped stand up some of the loan programs. And then in between, taking a, a break and a rest in the private sector uh, with the usual consulting firms and helping out a little bit there, too. So was the highlight working with us at Grant Thornton? Well, it certainly is a definitional point in my career. Way to duck that question. <laughs> well so, answered. Well so, answered. So how it's defined. Well, that's a subject for another podcast, I'm sure. So you're at a fascinating intersection of the journey to results that we talk a lot about on the program. How you get from policy to law to activities to outcomes. Tell us how you've seen this evolve during your career and what it looks like from Independence Hydrogen. Well, let let me explain what we're doing today, and then I can figure out how we got here from that perspective. I think That'd it's be great. Um, I think it's it's uh, worth shining a light on for sure. So we're a team of mostly veterans. We're our employee numbers now are in the the low twenties. We are building plant to be able to capture and purify, compress hydrogen and deliver that to customers that are going to use it to power mostly forklift trucks initially to move people and things around a regional distribution center. So that involves moving dirt, welding things, building plant, driving trucks, mostly uh, veterans in our company doing that work. So go back to uh, 2008-ish, 9-ish, uh, the transition from the Bush to Obama administration. Massive push on clean energy, the role of the green economy, uh, climate change issues. And at the same time, we had uh, an economic crisis that led to enactment of the Recovery Act, which, in it, which endowed significant investment at the Department of Energy to really address not just the economic issues at the time, but use the green economy to solve some of those issues. So there was really very much a policy push thinking through climate change, the green economy, what could be what role the federal government could play um, as a policymaker to drive change and uh, and particularly around uh, turning around the, the economy. Fast forward then time at the National Renewable Energy Lab with uh, very much a focus, obviously it's in its title, renewable energy, but a focus on not just basic research, but applied research, asking the questions, how do we take the technology, the innovation within this lab and with with our partners, how do you get that out into the marketplace so it actually gets deployed? I think the the current Secretary of Energy, Secretary Granum, has a a strategy of deploy, deploy, deploy. And so then we get into 2022. It's a very interesting year legislatively for the green economy with the passing of the bipartisan infrastructure law, but also uh, a bunch of uh, fiscal incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act. So the the bipartisan infrastructure law, the bill, provided $9.5 billion for the creation of hydrogen hubs and research and development programs, of which the Department of Energy currently has $7 billion on the street uh, to help build out the hydrogen economy through these through these hubs. So when you lay out the last 
decade, 15 years, transitioning from thinking through the green economy, being able to study it, and think how you apply innovation and technologies and get uh, get those to, to in, that innovation and technology deployed. And now you've actually got resources available to help scale the deployment of these technologies in this particular space. It's pretty fa- fascinating. And how that tra- trickles down, it really is literally boots on the ground, moving dirt, driving vehicles, building plant, welding stuff, putting pipes together. When you sit down and think about it, what's happened over that period of time, it really is phenomenal. It's, uh, so, it's, it's fascinating to see. So, Owen, the, the welding things and welding stuff, is that a technical term in the hydrogen industry? or <laughs> uh, It's, it's uh, applicable across several industries. Interesting. Yeah, that's Interesting. Sure. But, uh, I, that's I, why they I, put I, you I, in charge of the money, though, right? <laughs> that's, why, that's why I'm the finance guy. Yeah, sparks <laughs> flying, stuff being welded together, nuts and bolts. Um Thankfully, there are many other special to, specialists in this space that take care of that for me. The imagery so, is stunning, so thank you for that. <laughs> so the it, interesting, just listening to you talk through that, is, is this sort of has it all led to this and what you're doing now? Could could independence hydrogen have happened ten years ago without some of these things in place, or was really that sequence that you took us through was all of that necessary to get to this point where we're actually seeing changes in the way that energy is used and produced in the United States? That's a great question. Uh, in fact, before the, the legislative activity in 2022, we were already building a great company, solving big problems in the energy transition and, and, high, and the role that the hydrogen economy plays in that, building a great company and very, very much focused on the bottom line. Uh, we obviously want to be profitable uh, along the way too. So I would say, Adam, it's we are not doing this because of the legislation and the resources that have been put in place. I think what we're doing is very much supercharged by having those resources available. So way back when in the Department of Energy and the Loan Programs Office, when we did get additional loan guarantee authority and, and appropriated subsidy to pay for the credit risk, the program's purpose was very much trying to accelerate the deployment of innovation in this space at scale. And that's what we're seeing here, too, is that we were in business anyway. And then now we have the incentives. Uh, it's creating it's creating the opportunity to, again, just supercharge what we're what we're trying to do here and accelerate at scale the number of projects that we were developing anyway. So the. Office of Science Technology Policy put out a report today inventorying a lot of the investment and activities that the government is employing to accelerate the adoption of clean energy. Talk to me about the cross-section of government entities or other entities that are involved in your enterprise. There are several, primarily the Department of Energy. I mean, they, they are the the arbiters of, and the managers of taxpayer dollars and making sure that the those resources are deployed quickly, but also deployed wisely as well. What I've also seen too is, again, this this from our time in, in government, Robert, a little different here in that there seems to be a little more coordination between government departments to pursue a very much bigger Objective. Are you saying things have improved since we were there? <laughs> I think things have improved since we left. 
<laughs> As a matter of fact. So I'll give you no an cause example. and effect. No cause and effect. <laughs> That's right. Purely circumstantial. So I'll give you an example. So the Inflation Reduction Act set out production tax credits, uh, IRS Section 45V, for clean hydrogen. So they define. like code citations here, just FYI. Uh, code citations, just, um, extra credit. I'm, I'm showing off a little bit, but it's on a sticky note on my computer here, so I remember. So within the statute are definitions of clean hydrogen. It's actually the content of carbon dioxide produced per kilogram of hydrogen produced as a result of, of capture or manufacturing processes. Yeah, there you so might what have we, lost us, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, make, I'm coming around to my point uh, eventually. The point is that this is a, a, a tax code definition and which comes under the jurisdiction obviously of the of the irs however the irs are leaning on the department of energy for a definition of of how you would actually measure the carbon intensity of of hydrogen being produced so you now have the the tax men talking to the folks of the department of energy the scientists and researchers that understand life cycle costs associated with the production of, of hydrogen, for example, and using that as a basis to inform whether you're eligible and to what extent for production tax credits uh, as, as part in this particular industry. So I see a little bit more of that interconnectedness uh, across government and even within the Department of Energy, again, a little bit more evidence around collaboration across the various entities within the Department of Energy to get on the same page. Recently, they published the liftoff to commercialization report focused on in the hydrogen space, which again, having been in that building, seeing how they're able to connect dots across uh, organizations that may have a potential conflict or not be aligned totally is, is very, very good to see. So a couple of a couple examples there where, again, across government, but also within the department a little bit more evidence that people are working well together. Was that interaction between energy and IRS going well, or do you, you want us to get Danny yep. on the phone? We could we could reach out right now. I'm keeping that one in my back pocket for a little while until we fill in our tax tax uh, return. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh oh, he's a friend of the podcast, so maybe we'll have to edit that out. Uh, Owen, we talked at the beginning a little bit about how policy and funding are translating into real life uh, changes around the United States on the ground. Tell us a little bit about independence hydrogen and maybe share what you can about what's the real world impact. I think it's very positive. I'll give you a couple of examples that we talked about driving, hiring folks into our organization, former veterans. So we um, have recently acquired a it's a Nikola Trebev truck. It's a, a battery-powered truck for the transportation of our hydrogen trailers between our facility and and customers. So we've been able to hire locally um, in a in a part of Virginia that is not the most economically thriving. So we've been able to hire vets in areas that are clearly defined as has impacted from an environmental justice perspective to put people at work in good paying jobs. And again, we were doing this anyway, but the government policy and the flow down gives, various, gives us assurance that yes, again, we're gonna be able to scale and expand 
at a at a rate greater than we originally in, intended. Not only that, we did chuckle about sparks flying and welding stuff together, but we have been using subcontractors, vendors. Um, actually, uh, an interesting story here that I don't know whether you've been to Rochester, New York, but that used to be the the headquarters, the home of Kodak, a huge, massively thriving community that was decimated with Kodak's decision not to go digital way back. So we've been working with a firm there uh, to help build out our plant and equipment. And again, we've got shop floors, Marlboro Reds, Buffalo Bills, ball caps, grinders making sparks, assembling all of our equipment together. But it's our investment as a company in the energy transition focused on the hydrogen economy that is supporting good paying jobs in these communities to build our equipment and eventually get to to to, uh, to a clean hydrogen economy. I'll just close with, with this. We talk about boots on the ground, moving dirt, welding stuff, building plant, drivers moving our trucks and trailers. But the two disruptive spaces in the market here are one, I mean, hydrogen is a under $200 billion enterprise across the, the, the globe. But what the, the federal policy is doing is are two things. One, decarbonizing how hydrogen is being made. If you're burning coal to run energy-hungry electrolyzers to split water into hydrogen and oxygen, that's a very carbon-intensive product. And then the second big policy push is using low-carbon-intensity hydrogen to displace fossil fuels for, the mobi- for mobility purposes, the movement of people and things. And so when you've got these very, very big, grand decarbonization goals in the hydrogen space, it really does translate down to, again, welders, drivers, uh, ele- electricians, good-paying jobs. And that's, I think, the story maybe you don't necessarily see in the beltway about what's really happening and translating federal policy, the resources behind that policy, and what's actually going on on the ground with companies like ours. we got to wrap it up here, but um, listening to you talk, I'm, I, I have to reflect on sort of our careers, both doing really grand things, you seeing the evolution of policy and working to apply it to, you know, saving our planet and and me in niche, low-dollar podcasting. So I, you see those are some just parallels. I didn't want our <laughs> listeners to miss. <laughs> Thank you for being with yes. us, my friend. It, it's great Anytime. to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to bring a little uh, uh, international spirit to uh, Gov Navigators. Well, and also uh, just reflecting on your uh, different points in our careers. At the end of the day, we're both entrepreneurs. So late in our careers, the inf- that should be inspiration enough to your listeners that there's always an opportunity, and we're not dead yet. There's something else to do. <laughs> Take care, my friend. Thanks, right, Owen. Great talking to you. Anytime. You too. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Owen Barwell for joining us this week on the Gov Navigators podcast. Owen Barwell. Barwell. A close friend and seems like he's doing some really 
amazing things uh, using his long government experience to drive changes in the energy market in the United States. Agreed. So, Robert, what are you looking forward to this coming week? What's on the agenda? Well, it shouldn't be a mystery to you. I mean, I get another bite at the apple. Comptroller General is testifying on the House side this week uh, on the GAO high risk list. So if we didn't get enough of that last week, we get we get to do it again. So I'm I think that's what uh, I'll be interested to see what else we learn there. It is a how shall I say spicier environment <laughs> for the always stayed Gene Dodaro. Uh, I think we might get some good memes or clips out of that. Mm, that's definitely possible. It, it also reminds me of the thing that NBC did years ago uh, when they ran reruns over the summer. The whole campaign was, if you haven't seen it yet, it's new to you. So if you didn't tune in last week for the Senate version of the hearing, you got a chance on the House side. There you go. What about you? Well, one of the one of the other things that some folks might have seen last week, Speaker McCarthy released some policy ideas uh, to try to coalesce around an agreement to raise the debt ceiling. And uh, that these things at, the, at this particular point include reducing non-defense discretionary spending to FY22 levels, limiting growth in that spending to 1%, creating new work requirements for social programs. This is the first time that the House Republicans and Speaker McCarthy have put policy ideas out in this negotiation. The Biden administration and the president continue to say that they will accept nothing else other than a clean debt limit increase. But the at least this is some movement in this area on this important debate, one of the key policy issues in government this year. And we'll have to see how that how that plays out and how the administration responds. Yeah, I note that Senator McConnell has said that this is the administration and McCarthy's fight and that he'll do what he can to back up the speaker in that debate, anticipating how that gets resolved. That's for another podcast. Agreed. Although, you know, uh, Senator McConnell always wanted to keep his powder dry, uh, a, a master strategist in these types of situations, particularly knowing when not to do anything. Look at you saying something nice about Mitch McConnell. <laughs> he, well, he's good at what he does, even if I disagree with almost every single thing that he wants to accomplish. Have a great week, my friend. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gov Navigators podcast, brought to you by Gov Navigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, please visit govnavigators.com. Ahoy! Oh, jeez.